I want to talk to you about runners and fighters. I'm not talking about athletes. You'll understand who I'm talking about in a minute. Runners and fighters. And the teaching is not about fighting or running from physical enemies as it was in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, our enemy is the demonic strongholds in people, yes, in areas, yes. But people are not our enemies. That's why God said to love them, because he loves them. He created them. And he's concerned for them, regardless of how mean or miserable they might be. He still wants them to live eternally with him if they'll only repent and come to him. It's interesting in Matthew 24, both verses 12 and 13, he tells us there to stand firm in the face of wickedness. And I want to talk to you about that. I have, over the years, experienced so many times people telling me, I've sometimes asked them where they're going to church, sometimes they volunteer, and they will say, well, they're having trouble there. We just thought we'd find another place. And generally when they're having trouble, you know it, you don't get much out of the sermons anymore. Because every trouble that's in a church, doesn't matter what level it's at, it's almost like as if the pastor is somehow to blame for it, or the board is, or somebody. So we need to establish, first of all, there's a war on. If we're going to be fighters, we need to get understanding there's a war on. Ephesians 6, finally, verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For, your, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, Paul clearly says that's where the battle is, where the demonic realm is, and it's apparently in the lower heavens, above the earth, but in the lower heavens, that's where the demonic realm works out of. Now, four times in Paul's letters, he refers to Christians as soldiers. That just simply means to me, Paul recognizes a war on. And if he calls them soldiers, he would call us soldiers because there's still a war on. And that war wants to gain territory and you are that territory. If we are to learn from Old Testament writings, 1 Corinthians 10 makes it very clear that we should, the first number of verses. We need to see the human enemies of the Old Testament, symbolic of the, of the demonic in the New Testament. So 1 Corinthians 10 says twice that we are to learn from what happened back there. We're to understand so we don't make the same mistake. In Romans 15, it says something similar, but it says also that by reading the writings of the Old Testament, we get hope. So we need hope, and of that hope, 
because faith is a substance of hope, according to Hebrews 1, 11, 1. We get hope and therefore faith to fight the enemy. All right, so we want to talk to you about runners and fighters. Here's, let's look at the runners first. Ephesians, Judges 6, verses 1 and 2. This is Gideon. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites because the power of Midian was so oppressive. Listen, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. So here I want you to picture a church in the New Testament. There's trouble in the church. And you see, there's a tendency by many people to either hide behind their, their television or their sports or their uh, jobs or whatever. They hide behind them. They don't want to get involved and start to do something that they could do about that trouble in the church. And that trouble in the church is demonic. Somewhere it's influencing either from uh, somebody's actions or somebody that's never been delivered. It's influencing the church in a negative way. And you see, we can be like the Israelites at the time of Gideon, and we can go and we can just pretend we're not involved. It's not my business, not my problem. And you might either shy away from it and pretend it's not affecting you, or you might even leave the church and go to a different church. That's what a runner is. They run away from the problems. I was amazed when I start looking how many times we talk about this in the Old Testament. First Samuel 7, 7. They were afraid of the Philistines. First Samuel 13, they hid in caves and some left the country. First Samuel 14, Jonathan, his armor bearer, they went up against a, a Philistine outpost. And, the Jew, and when the Philistines saw him and his armor bearer, this is what they said. Oh, look, the Jews are calling out of their holes. Even the Philistines saw them hiding in their holes, knowing they're so afraid. And then in verse 15, when God, through the power of Jonathan, his armor bearer, defeat that garrison, that's when the children of Israel come out of their holes. And you see it, it's almost said, oh good, it's, it's somebody else's job to fix this problem, somebody else to deal with this situation, somebody else to talk to that person about their manipulative, argumentative attitude. It's somebody else's job. And then when somebody else does something and does clear up the problem, we all come out saying, oh, so we're so happy. We're so happy that somebody did it with it. We can hide while they're doing that. Again, we see in 2 Samuel 23, verse 11, where they, the troops fled from the Philistines. And in 1 Samuel 17, this is when David went down to the army that was being faced by the Philistines, and Goliath is out there. We all know the story of David and Goliath. I think if you don't, I'll give you just a quick one, but this, they say, is about nine feet high. 
and he would come out and he'd say to Israel, send out someone to fight with me and the winner then will win the whole war. We don't have to go to war. Nobody, everybody is afraid. And even says, listen, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you'll become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, listen, Saul, who was the king, and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. What a king. Now, verse 24, this is after, no, sorry, when the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. He was so huge. Now we know what happened. One young man, one young boy who knew what it was to have the Spirit of God on him, who could say to Saul, I'll go out and challenge him. Saul said, no, you can't, you're a kid. David said, when a bear come after the sheep I was looking after, I grabbed him and killed him. When the lion came, I killed him. I can take this dude. And Saul dressed him in his armor, and David says, it's too clumsy. I'm not used to it. Listen, you can't use the old ways to defeat the enemy. We have to start doing what God said. His way, that rock was Jesus in his slingshot. Let me talk to you about the fighters. I'm more interested than I am. I hope you are. 1 Samuel 17, 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart. In other words, don't be afraid, you guys, on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And he's been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. The world out there right now is defying the Lord the God that we stand for. They're making laws that are contrary to the laws of the Lord from the New Testament. They're changing everything about our sexual orientation, the way we live, uh, uh, legalizing things that the Bible says are sin. 
And it isn't that we're saying to the world, you have to obey the scriptures. We're saying to the church, you have to obey the scriptures and live according to the word. But it's time we start doing warfare against the demonic realm that's changing this. The people that are doing it have been deceived. They're innocent as far as deception is concerned. They don't know what they're doing. But we need to be people that says, we're not going to put up with this anymore. This Philistine will come down. We're talking about the demonic, not the people. In Judges 15, 15, Samson, in his war against the Philistines, he didn't have a sword, he didn't have anything with him, but he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. He grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. I can't even believe that one. But God did it with a, a jawbone of an ass. He killed a thousand soldiers. In the first Kings 19, Elijah was afraid of Jezebel. He wasn't afraid to challenge the other 400 prophets of Baal and 350 prophets of, of, of false teachers of Astra, but he ran from Jezebel. And he was hiding out in the wilderness from Jezebel. And so many of our churches there are influenced by running from a, a problem, a Jezebel spirit, a, a, the, the uh, manipulative, and the Bible says in Revelation, it's going to be there, that controlling spirit will be in the end time church. And many of us are immune to it. We don't pay attention to it. We hope it'll go away, but it won't go away. And when he was out there hiding, even though God was feeding him miraculously by a raven who brought food, and God said to him, what are you doing here? And you see, the church today, we're allowing all this garbage in our fellowship. We won't deal with it. We don't address it. And the Lord says to you as leaders, and he says to me, what are you doing here? What are you doing? Are you just here to collect a pension someday, get a salary today, to build up your reputation today and become a church builder so your denomination will take note of you? Is that why you're here? What are you doing running from sin? What are you doing running from that demon? What are you doing? Stop being a runner. Be a fighter. In 2 Samuel 23, all the way through that, verse 8 to 39, a listing of David's mighty men, again in 1 Chronicles 11, 10 to 47, but you see, in this listing of David's mighty men, every one of those men, 30 of them, are listed as men who did outstanding warfare acts, generally by themselves. When everybody else was running, they stood their ground and defeated the enemy that was attacking them. And God is looking for people today who stop running and start being fighters. 
instead of getting all concerned about what's going on in your church about the problems and then running from it start getting concerned because you need you'll say to yourself i need to find two or three others that are concerned lord show me two or three others show me that we can get together not to talk about it not to gossip about it not to tear somebody down find fault with them but to get together and start to do warfare against that spirit that's trying to destroy our church or our fellowship you see, that's what David's mighty man was all about. Men who were not afraid by themselves to face the enemy. But it's better if Jesus said two or three get together. It's better with two or three just to fight the enemy. It was two old ladies, one of them blind. They were so old. They didn't do anything except pray for revival in Wales in 1904 and before that. And God sent revival and did a great work in Wales because two people stood against the enemy. In the Hebrides revival of the 1940s, I'm reading in their book, a few farmers concerned about the sin of the island Concerned because they knew it was going to destroy them. As the Bible says, I'll destroy any nation that turns against me. Spent time, I believe it was once a week, but in a man's barn, met together and prevailed into the night, not giving up. God sent revival to that island. In both cases, those revivals, they were so powerful. People who had declared, made a promised to their friends they would never go near a church were smitten by the Lord either in their homes or on the sidewalk outside or in their fields smitten by the Lord rushed to the church crying out what do I have to be do to be saved that's revival in Ephesians 6 it tells us this by Paul listen to it therefore put on that's a command put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, in other words, we get it, we should, be, if there's no problems in your church, you should be saying, Lord, I want to be ready. If one shows up, I want to be ready. Put it on so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Verse 14, stand firm then. Didn't say to run, hide in the caves. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. That's the knowledge of the word of God that if we will fight, God will do the battle for us. And the breastplate of righteousness and peace, that, that means I have a right standing before God. My sins are forgiven. I know I asked him this morning, search me, O Lord, because we need to ask God to do that periodically because there's things in our lives that we forget about or we overlook them and think they're all right. But we need to say, search me, O Lord. When you've done that and repented of what he shows you, that breastplate of righteousness, and that protects your heart. 
with your feet filled with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And you see, it tells us the minute that shield of faith is what I speak out of my mouth. And then take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Listen, this passage of scripture is because of the time Paul wrote it. That's what a soldier looked like. And today he may have used different terms, but it's still a soldier ready for battle. And then he ends up by saying, one of the things that seemed to bind all this armor into effectiveness and brings about a powerful surge of your energy in prayer is praying in the Spirit. Now, you might argue that means praying in your hometown language, your, your, your country language, with, uh, with the grooving of the Holy Spirit, that grooming to help you pray. Yes, I don't argue with you. But you see, there's a certain limit to how much my English allows me to go. I start to think, I'm not sure what else to say. But the Lord gave us a gift on the day of Pentecost, which Paul said, I wish you all had. He said, I use it more than any of you. I wish you all had it. And that's praying in the Spirit, in the language from God that nobody understands except the Father himself. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2 says so. It was given to us as a, a weapon against the enemy. And <clears throat> he hates it. The very moment it showed up in the day of Pentecost, he knew there was something that he didn't understand and he hated it because he couldn't get a hold of what it was. And the moment it happened, he started to belittle it and tear it down so that people would have a dim view of it because when you belittle something, you strip it of its good reputation and its value. And you see, somewhere I need to say, I'm going to start fussing. I'm going to stop fussing about this, as whether it's now or never was, or stopped at a certain. I'm just going to say, Lord, I want to be so filled with Your Holy Spirit that the language from heaven will flow out of me, and that language can be praise, it can be thanksgiving, it can be praying for the saints that you don't even know about, missionaries you've never heard about, can be praying for them, or it can be building up your faith. Jude 20 and First Corinthians. 14 says so. Do you understand? God has called us to be fighters. He's given us the equipment to be fighters, and we've spent most of our time sitting around debating whether their doctrines are right or wrong. Why don't we just take the Word of God and start to do what He says we're supposed to do, become a fighter. The churches need you to become a fighter. Stop blaming the pastor for everything. Stop blaming the board for everything. Start becoming a fighter for the enemy, the devil, the demonic force are the enemies against the church. You need to fight them. Our warfare is not flesh and blood. I don't know why we can't get that. Says it. Every, every Christian, because we're baptized in the Spirit, if you haven't been, start asking God for it. Cry out to Him for it. Don't give up. 
Ask him, forget about what your denomination teaches. The Bible teaches in every gospel, Jesus is going to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, he did it five times. In 1 Corinthians uh, 11, Peter talks about what happened in the house of Cornelius. Stop fussing about it and just cry out to God for it and make sure you're asking for the right reason that you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit in order that you can glorify him, not so you can impress your friend. Every Christian that's baptized in the Holy Spirit, everyone has the ability to overcome the enemy in their lives, in their community, in their church. When the church gets a hold of holiness and walks in righteousness, it will have authority. Because righteousness is the authority that we get from God. It says so in Hebrews 1, 8. Jesus, his authority was the righteousness. Because of his righteousness, God gave him authority. This is what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And believe me, across this land of mine, the churches I'm familiar with, most of them have no power. It's all nice words from the pulpit, maybe taken from somebody else's book, purchased from the internet, whatever it might be. Nice words, and the church is dying. The Christian church is dying. It's because we've neglected the power of God. We've watered down things, tried to explain to everybody you automatically got the Holy Spirit when you get saved. Totally contrary to Scripture, but that's what we say. Read the, read the Samaritan church in Acts chapter 8. You'll realize they received the Holy Spirit. No, pardon me, they got saved, healed, baptized in water. Then they sent back to Jerusalem to get the apostles to come and pray for them. It's a two-day journey back, two days back, that at minimum, four days before they could pray for, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 18, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind or prohibit, is what that word means, on earth will be bound or prohibited in heaven, and whatever you loose, permit, on earth will be loosened and permitted in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with you. What's he saying? In the Old Testament, one man could stand against it. Now the Lord's saying at least two or three because unity in the New Testament is, is where my anointing in Psalm 133 prophesies that. What was it that Jesus said, Matthew 11, 
for the day of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcibly advancing and forceful men take hold of it. So when John the Baptist started, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. And you see, that's when we started by force to take the kingdom of God for the kingdom of God in this world. We did it by force. But you see, we've compromised, watered it down, and made excuses, and we've nullified it where it's no use anymore in many of our cases. Let me go back and remind you. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart. When the Philistines saw that their, their hero, Goliath, was dead, they all turned and ran. We need to be fighters, folks. If you're a fighter, the enemy would like to get rid of you before the next problem comes. Don't forget that. He makes you, he wants to make you into a runner. Don't let him. God has made the foolishness of this world, the wisdom of this world, foolishness, it says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 20. Listen, the foolishness that's going on right now, we need to be people that say, we will not let it come into our family, fight it off. We will not let it come into our church. We will stand against it. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will go cold in Matthew 24. And you see, those who stand firm to the end will be saved. Do you know the opposite to that? If we don't stand firm, Father, help us. Amen. Please visit our website at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.